Hi, I'm back. It's your old pal, Harley R. Paget. I'm back home in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, after spending a week in the good old US of A. I was on my honeymoon, and we stayed at a lovely hotel in Yorba Linda, California. Emily, the hometown of Tricky Dick Nixon. Whoa, so not my Belinda, your Belinda. Your Belinda. That's like a Unicabani Cole Cabana interplay there. <laughs> Yes, your Belinda, and the whole time as we're walking around Huntington Beach, as we're watching the surfers, as we're enjoying seven days of nothing but hot, hot sun in September, I'm thinking, how did he turn out this way? How did Dick Nixon grow up here and turn out the way he did? Well, uh, California is a is a weird state, and it has a like vast uh, vein of conservatism that runs through it. So it's actually not it's shocking to some people because they equate California with its most liberal aspects. But there's actually a, a really big conservative uh, vein that runs through California, a big like heritage of conservatism, because um, you think of people like uh, you think of Ronald Reagan, et cetera. So, yeah, it's just it's it, it's a it's weird. It's a you've got really big pockets of liberalism surrounded by people who are like very much here more traditional, like, conservative family values, fiscal conservatives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's true. We did see some stormtroopers at Disneyland. You know, it starts where you least expect it, in a land of make-believe and dreams. This is Grit and Glitter. My name is Harvey R. Patrick. My name is M. Here. It's us. We're back. It's another week Yay. of women's wrestling here at G&G headquarters. This week we're chatting with, I was going to say new friend of the show, because I can't believe she's never been on the show before. How long have you known Karen? Years. Um, I, I think, yeah, a couple of years. I mean, since I got into New Japan um, pro wrestling, Karen's been, been on the scene, and I didn't realize in talking to Karen that, you know, she and I got, you know, into stardom around the same time too. So, but I've been, you know, friendly and in communication with Karen for a couple of years now, even um, tangentially in some of the same places at the same time, Madison Square Garden and Philadelphia for the New Japan uh, tour back in uh, fall of 2019. Um, so yeah, but shockingly, despite her wealth of knowledge, and her regular coverage of Joshi Wrestling, BF Post Wrestling, we had never actually had her on the show. 162 episodes. Never had her on the show. Crazy. Nope. Nope. But when New Japan Pro Wrestling announced the historic crossover show between, specifically called Historic X or Crossover, um, happening in November between New Japan Pro Wrestling and Stardom Wrestling, both of whom are owned by Bushi Road, uh, Post Wrestling's Karen Peterson has started a limited run column for New Japan World's website 
of covering stardom for those who may be unfamiliar. So we thought it was a great opportunity to bring her on the show to talk to her about the column and her background in both the Japanese language and also her you know, interest in wrestling and her growing skills as a translator for the fans. I've been off and on watching New Japan for the last year or so. I used to watch it like religiously and having having a kid, uh shocker, gets in the way of watching all <laughs> So well my husband has kind of, you know, devotedly like made time for it. I've unfortunately not been able to. But I check in here and there. Um I have not been regularly watching Stardom at all. I kind of started watching T J P and stuck with that and it took up my extra time. So there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. There's just so there's so much wrestling available right now that it's it's not a bad thing that you're not sticking with one particular promotion. B- different promotions offer different things for different people. So if you found something that you like more than Stardom, that's that's fantastic. I enjoy Tokyo Joshi Pro just as much. I I really enjoyed it. If I could watch equally, I probably I, I definitely would. But I really miss watching New Japan regularly because that was that defined so much of my first two years of wrestle wrestling fandom so i still kind of have that like it's kind of like my home base even though it's not my regular watch now um so we'll delve into you know your background um certainly like you know what you know your like like specific language skills and your affiliation with new japan um correct me if i'm wrong have you done official translation work for them before or just on a on a unofficial basis everything i've done up until uh, the column that we're going to talk about has been just as a fan who has bilingual skill trying to help the community. None of it's okay. been paid. I don't work for New Japan. I don't work for Stardom. I don't work for anybody. <laughs> I work for Post, <laughs> but that's about it. Yeah, it's a lot of it's just been me trying to give back to the community and help bridge the understanding between different the different cultures and like languages and especially between the Japanese fans because sometimes they see what we get as international fans. And they don't necessarily get that in Japan. And it's like, it's the same thing with us. They get certain privileges and perks that we don't get. So there's often a disconnect between the two fandoms, if that makes sense. Okay, excellent. I want to, I want to be able to touch on that too, because I don't think, I don't think a lot of people completely understand that. I mean, myself included. <laughs> so much that I don't realize that, that I'm missing on one side or the other. And yeah, what you're doing is filling in that gap, that like, that really crucial gap for people who are like missing out on something. You're giving them the full experience, which is awesome. Harley, you were a regular startup watcher up until what, 2019? I just checked my note. I just checked my notes because I couldn't remember dates. I started watching beginning of 2018 on and off. And then I watched every single show in 2019 and 2020 and did written reports on every single show, even the minor ones, even the, <laughs> even the tiny, tiny shows. I did that for two years, and then end of 2020, I dropped off, and I haven't watched any stardom since, which is funny because, okay, so there are a couple reasons, and I I, I think it's interesting maybe for, for another stardom person to compare to. The one reason for me was when Bushiroad bought them, I felt like it really, they lost a lot of their, like, charm. They stopped doing costume battle royals and blind sword fight tournaments and rock paper scissors matches and things like that which had drawn me to the promotion in the first place i felt like they had gotten a little too professional a little too serious and then the other side was they were giving some hard pushes to people that i personally just do not care for 
uh, and it's just funny because it's like two years later, and oh, those people are still like ruling the like the top three names that come to mind for, for me are Julia, Utami, and Sayakamatani. I can't stand them, and that that was part of the thing that drove me away. So seeing that uh, Julia has won the five star Grand Prix and stuff makes me think like, okay, maybe yeah, I don't think I'm coming back to stardom anytime soon. That's so interesting to me. I feel like they're at a point now where they're kind of reaching a, a wider audience than ever. Like they're getting a bigger, bigger platform. And this is exactly kind of when you pulled back. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's not that. I guess that's not coincidental. Right. Like I said, Bushu would bind them, took them to a larger stage. And for that larger stage, they wanted a certain professionalism, a certain sheen to things, I guess. A little bit less comedy, a little bit uh, less of the goofy side of things and more more fighting spirit, I guess, or something. And those are the same things that like had drawn me to the promotion in the first, partly in the first place was I was like, oh, this is like fun. This is like, they're, they're goofy. They're, I love this energy. And the energy kind of took a turn, I think around the end of 2020. I was actually very late to the stardom party. I, my Madison Square Garden and uh, the G1 Supercard was my first proper experience experiencing anything related to stardom uh during that week in new york when they had their stand the one standalone show that they had in the states in the last five years i think was the one time i was double booked somewhere else and couldn't go uh so for me i came in just like my first experience going to a stardom show proper was immediately after bushy road had bought stardom so it was january 2020 right before wrestle kingdom so I guess I guess for me I don't have much of a basis of comparison. Like I do I I have gone back and seen some of the more camp and fun things that they've done in the past. But for me I've always been the kind of fan who enjoys more of the I, I guess maybe that makes me a little vanilla. I, I'm more of like the wrestling like the technical stuff. Just because for me ever since I was in high school I liked well grappling wrestling and then it transferred into WWE wrestling back in the 90s. So for me, it's just I I feel I feel bad that the the changes that Bushi Road's made has affected fans like like Harley who are just like yeah well it's not for me anymore and that, and that I mean that's okay but it's also kind of sad because they're they're gaining so much momentum right now. Well let let's dive in because I think there's a lot of good um, momentum here and stuff to touch on um, and certainly a crossover show like New Japan doing like not just like a featured match of Stardom but like actually doing like a full-on partner show with stardom is, is uh really is as in the name it is historic but it's also maybe the most high profile stardom specific event that has happened so far so let's dive in and we'll we'll touch on all these things so this week we are joined by karen peterson who uh among other accomplishments um, has offered a great service to people for the last uh, couple of years, offering translations. Um, specifically, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, Karen, but is it is it primarily New Japan Pro Wrestling, or have you have you branched out? Are you doing a lot of other Japanese promotions as well? There are so many <laughs> promotions out there that, by and large, my translation when I w- used to watch every single match live and every single show live, it would be largely New Japan and a little bit of Stardom. Uh, but other than that. There's there's fans cropping up in every single wrestling fandom that there are more bilingual fans out there, I assure you, that are also doing it for other promotions like Noah <laughs> and Tokyo Joshi Pro and stuff like that. 
I think that's why I get confused because I I follow a couple people who do that translation, and I I confess I can't always remember who's doing what for who. <laughs> um, but I'm always so um, excited when I see that because, um, as you were talking about earlier, like it's it's offering fans for both sides a opportunity to kind of get what the other half is getting, to, yeah. like get the whole picture. Yeah, the biggest thing for me, and this is when I started really doing it more intently, was when there was the the Festival of Honor G1 Supercard Weekend in Madison Square Garden. Because Los Ingobernables de Japón never do meet and greets in Japan. And at that event, they were giving you a, for $125, you got to stand right in the middle of five of the six members and take a photo. It was 10 seconds, not a lot of time to talk to everyone. But the minute I put that photo on Twitter, it caught fire and the Japanese fans were very upset by it because they don't get that opportunity. Usually they have like a merchandise meet and greets where they used to buy like a certain number of uh, price of item and then they'll sign it for you, but you can't take pictures with them. Or in order to get a picture with the, the wrestler, you have to be in a fan club. So it was very like... The, the meet and greet culture between what's available in Japan and what's how we do it on the Indies and here in the United States and like in the UK and stuff like that is very different. So I had to sit there and like, I'm trying to have a good time and enjoy my moment with my, you know, LIJ because I finally got to meet most of them. But then I also had to spend a lot of time like explaining to everyone how different things are between like the, the foreign wrestling experience versus how things are conducted in Japan. When that happened, I didn't realize how much of a disparity there were was between the two fandoms in regards to how things are conducted in Japan. It's more akin to the idol culture and celebrity culture, which is very hands off. <laughs> and here in here in the states, it's very hands on. <laughs> and it kind of goes both ways, right? Because I mean, we're getting a more Western when they do tours here, when they do um, you know shows here. We're getting more westernized experience as far as the meet and greets and the structure of, the, of those type of events. But on the other side of it, you know, because it is Japanese promotions, Japanese wrestlers, they're getting a lot of um, the Japanese fans get a lot of materials, a lot of print materials and a lot of um, forms of wrestling merchandise and promotions that we're not used to with our wrestling culture here. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. And like to touch on how things are with New Japan and stardom lately is that they're shifting even in, here in the States and in the UK, they're shifting more to the Japanese approach of everything where they've, you know, over the last couple of years here in the States, they've stopped allowing fans to bring their own items to get signed that you, you know, you only can get an eight, a pre-signed eight by 10. And it, it's, it's very, it's becoming very much a, the way that they do talent meet and greets in Japan. And as a fan who's been, loved the way that you know i'm used to the ring of honor <laughs> other than wwe i'm used to the ring of honor way of doing things where you pay your 20 bucks you, you know you sit there you have you have like a three minute conversation if you're lucky and you know you get something personalized and that's they're kind of stripping that out lately and it, it's it, it's hard it's hard when you're like you're used to something but then you're have they're having to you're having to adapt it to a different way of doing it without any explanation yeah, it, it's unfortunate that that shift comes from, you know, following the model that they are used to rather than, you know, kind of pushing it to a more, you know, fan base, more contemporary, even like Western wrestling. This is like the one area where I'm like, I kind of like prefer the way that, you know, Western wrestling does it. Yeah. Um, but I also kind of appreciate that it's like, well, no, that, you know, it's, it's, it's 
Japanese wrestling, it's Japanese promotions, it's Japanese culture. Like we're going to follow what we are, you know, we're we're gonna streamline this to the point where like it's it's following what we're accustomed to from what we've been doing for, you know, since since nineteen seventy two. So and um, it's also from appreciate that. It's also from an efficiency standpoint because that way they can sell more meet and greets and they can make more money if it's very much like step in, take your picture, have a quick moment, get out. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're able to cycle through the crowd faster, especially when you have someone like Naito who consistently at every single show I've been to where he's done a meet and greet, his line is like the longest. It's longer than Tanahashi. It's longer than Okada. He's consistently the longest person. That I know. And he's the kind of person who will stay until every single person is done. But if everyone's having a five minute conversation with him, it's not practical. <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, you know, we can uphold the like king of strong style, the king of sports, New Japan, but you know, it's still a carny enterprise and they have to make, they have to make their meet and greet money just like any other company. So. Yep. And now they have the, the, the Bushi road idol marketing machine behind them, which gives them even more power influence and ability to do things different <laughs> um, i don't necessarily know if it's better but you know especially with the pandemic now you know, not being able to like touch people or being like too close to people it's it's now it's kind of a safety issue too so but it, it is an adjustment which is the hardest part so karen for those who aren't familiar with your with your work online with with what you know your amazing twitter account which you know i'm going to say this a million times while we talk to you but like if you're listening to this and you don't follow karen please follow karen on twitter please 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 you will not be disappointed if you're a fan of japanese wrestling you should absolutely be following karen um but how did you like how did you come to wrestling and what is your like what was your language background like where does okay. this you know how do you get to now how do I how do we get to now? <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to have to go back about almost 30 years when Sailor Moon was the big thing here in the United States. And I was 14 years old, yeah. <laughs> fell in love with anime video games. And at 14, I said, one day I'm going to go to Japan, went to college, minored in Japanese, couldn't go to Japan on a study abroad because they only gave scholarships to the Japanese language majors. So that I, but my professor was like consider this teaching program and I'm like, all right, well I'll put a pin in that because I want to like I want to get real life experience before I go over to Japan, you know, move halfway across the world. Uh around that time, nineteen ninety nine, I watched the No Mercy Ladder match with the Hardy's Edge and Christian, fell in love with that, and <laughs> started watching <laughs> WWF, which as a also having another minor in women's studies was a very difficult time to be a female fan because of mm. the way that women were portrayed on TV in wrestling. Um, I, I watched more mud and brawn panties matches that I was, I'm willing to admit to <laughs> largely because that was the only real experience of wrestling that we had back then. It was like, you know, Lita was like the, the exception to the rule, but even then she had to participate in those matches as well. Jump to 2003. I've graduated college. I am behind a desk, hating life, said to myself, I need to go to Japan. And I applied for Japan. Got to Japan, was in Japan from 2003 to 2008, came back. I worked in various occupations between 2009 to 2015 that were Japanese adjacent, whether it was working at a Japanese boarding school or as a Delta flight attendant. And then I started working at the University of Central Florida here in Orlando and in a job that has absolutely nothing to do with Japan. And I was desperately seeking some way to feel connected to Japan again. Um, and then I started watching NXT and that's when Asuka debuted and Shinsuke debuted and Kento or Kento was then Hideo Itami. 
they were all in NXT at the time. My very first NXT house show was when Ken, uh, I keep calling him Kent because I'm so used to calling him Kenta now. Hideo Itami had, was in the main event with Finn Balor against Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville. And they went around the <laughs> ring after they won the match. So I got a picture with Hideo Itami, now Kenta again. And from then I was like, who's this man? And then I did, all my, I did my homework. And then I was like, oh my gosh, there's this whole Japanese wrestling scene. And slowly I started learning about it. But it wasn't until about 2017 summer and then WCPW over in the UK had this very large pro wrestling world cup. They had a Japan bracket that basically had all the new Japan juniors in it. There was a young lions show in yo or, you know, show Tanaka and Yohei Komatsu. Hiromu was in it. Bushi, Taguchi, Liger, Kushida. And I was like, Oh my gosh, who are these guys? My friends are like, you need to watch this. You know, I, I, I held off on watching new Japan when AJ Styles was in it. I held off watching it when I learned that Finn Balor was in it. I held off watching it when Shinsuke Nakamura was, was in it. But then I jumped in at the 2017 G1 and I never looked back. Wow. Yeah. What a and that's how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> that's the short, short version. Well, when did you start doing translations on Twitter for fans? What, what, what was your first? Uh, the more, the more I got into New Japan and started learning uh, that there was a, like, there was a whole Japanese side of the fandom. Again, still trying to find, con- feeling, like, trying, like, you know, I left my heart over there, if that makes any sense. So I like, I, like, being in Orlando is probably one of the furthest places from Tokyo is from where I'm at right now. So connecting with Japanese fans and being able to practice my language that way was a great start. Um, as someone who's worked with the language for, for over 20 years now, I get frustrated with the miscommunication that happens as a result of machine translation. And there's a lot of miscommunication, especially on Twitter, when people will use that or Google Translate and they'll they'll screen cap that and post it and be like, this is what's happening. Like The best example I can think of is when... Uh, Minoru Suzuki wrote a post about Mako Satomura. They've known each other for decades. They've worked together for decades. And the translate, the machine translation of what he said was, we've been dating for 10 years. And that wasn't his intention. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Twitter lost their mind thinking that, you know, the two of them had this secret love affair for the last 10 years. And it's like, no, you can use that phrase to mean you've known somebody for a very long time. They're a dear friend. They're a colleague. You, you, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they must be dating. But then all the, 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 the a weird, bizarre mix of Satomura Suzuki shippers came out. And I was like, OK, but sorry to burst your bubble, guys. That's not right. <laughs> and then more, probably more crucially, when Hanakamura passed, it was the same situation where there was a lot of misinformation going around. People were like, there was there was very minimal English information being dispersed at that time. So that was another time where I just I did it for the community because the community needed someone to help not diffuse the situation, but mitigate all the misinformation that started going around because of machine translation. If yeah, that makes sense. absolutely. Yeah, no, it makes it makes total sense. And when you are trying to, uh, Hanukkah is an excellent example because, you know, when you're trying to make sense of a tragedy, and yeah. you are a fan of it, and it's it's a, it's a you know person who lives in another country, and all the news that, that you're you're seeing is you know mainly in foreign press, and it's in a language you don't understand, and 
it can be very difficult to know that anything you're you're reading translation wise or secondhand is accurate. Yes. So coming from a like person who, you know, something I really appreciate with your tweets is that, you know, your name is on them. You are a, a known person like you're not you know, an anonymous account just putting out translations and letting it fly. Like you are a person who like has like who who has an identity that can be trusted at this point. So it's like I know that if you share something that is a translated article on, related to you know any information out there, I can I can trust that it's I can trust that the information that you're providing is verified because you you know you are a trusted source at this point. That means a lot to me. And and the the hardest thing is that it's like it's one of those things where if it can help benefit the community and make it a better and safer and more educated place, I'm fine lending a hand. It's when I get random messages from people I don't know, or I've never spoken to who basically treat me like Google translate being like, Hey, can you translate this? Or they send me an article and they're like, can you translate this? And I say, well, here are my fees. And they're like, what do you mean you're charging now? And I'm like, well, this is a private request. It's not something I'm working on right now. (laughs) So it's one of those things where it's like, there, like especially when when Hana passed, it was very difficult because a lot of people, of course, wanted information. But because the information was few and far between, because it was part of a police investigation, there were things that I couldn't talk about because I didn't have enough information. I wasn't confident enough in the, what information I had in hand to be able to provide an accurate description or an accurate translation. And there have been other instances in the last couple of years involving scandals and different things like that, where, of course, it's one of those things where it's like you want to help. But at the same time, even if you have the skills as a translator, you also have a responsibility to make sure you're not adding fuel to the fire. That if the if you don't have enough information to accurately do your job, you're not participating. And with Japanese there, you know, like many other languages, like sometimes you drop you drop the noun of the sentence. And if you drop the noun, it could be directed at any one person or it could be speaking about multiple people. So without concise information to be able to do an accurate translation, there have been times where people are like, you're a coward because you're not helping out. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't help out because I don't have all the information. Yeah. And some some Japanese wrestlers are, you know, specifically vague in how they tweet or communicate online correct maybe because they're protecting themselves maybe because they're under specific contractual obligations um i was you know when when you're talking about like you know breaking news type of things or people reaching out to you to translate stuff during the midst of like scandals or or you know just buzzworthy events i know earlier this year there were you know there was a series of online interactions that like the wrestler kota bushi had on twitter and elsewhere and I don't know. Did you get anybody who was like reaching out to you to get get direct translations? I was called a coward for not participating, to be perfectly honest. I. The way that he speaks in Japanese is exceptionally vague. And he's a prime example of a situation where. Providing translation could go in multiple directions, including legal ramifications if what is being said is incorrect. So it's one of those things where when all of that was happening, I watched. But I was also very hands off because I was as you know, I'm a human being. I'm allowed to set boundaries. I was not comfortable participating or contributing because I didn't feel like my contribution would accurately convey what he's trying to say. 
that's, I mean, and also considering potential ramifications of what he was saying, that there are legal liabilities there. Correct. For translation. And, and so, yeah, at that point, like, you're, there's nothing cowardice about it. At the baseline, you're, you're disengaging. At yeah. the, like, actual truth of it, you are protecting yourself and anyone else involved. And it's one of those things like as as some people might say that this uh, this is me sounding selfish, but it's the had I contributed to that, had I got something wrong, I could have been served legal. Like, you know, I could have been sued or, you know, brought in to testify. But then who's going to pay for that? I can't afford legal fees, especially international travel within a legal system that's different from the one that I am accustomed to here as an American. So it's one of those things where it was just like that whole situation was like a gasoline can. You know, yeah. it's dangerous. But, and you want to handle it as safely as possible. For me, handling that safely was staying way, way away from it. Yeah, because it was just, it was just too volatile. Yeah, very volatile. And I'm even thinking like, you know, you're like a you're a fan. You're someone who is actively invested in what you're watching and the people that you're watching perform you know, wrestling. And at the at the very baseline, even if it's not legal trouble, if you were to in some way misrepresent what they had to say in a way that like had unnecessary like un unforeseen consequences, like that that's that's a responsibility that you have to accept when you're doing this translation. So it's very much within your rights and absolutely should be for you yeah. to say, no, I'm not gonna touch this. And, and and that's the hard thing is that it's just like I want to give back to the community, but at the same time, I want to do it in a way that's safe and productive. I didn't feel that the the there was enough damage control being done by all the people involved on the corporate side and whatever <laughs> that I was like, you know what, this this dog isn't my fight, isn't my fight. I'm not. I can't. And, you know, that, the, the hard part about that was that, you know, people got upset with me for setting boundaries. And I was like, you know what? Setting boundaries isn't a bad thing. If, if, if my telling you no sets you off, that's a you problem, not a me problem. Yes, 100%. So <laughs> if anyone's listening out there, Karen isn't your, like, translator at large just to, like, send things willy-nilly for, like, so, uh pay up if you're going to ask for those services. And it's the same thing with any other translator, any other bilingual fan. They, they they do what they can to help the community, but at the end of the day, they're a fan just like everybody else. And if you if you want translation work, just know that it's not cheap. It's work. It, it is exactly what it says. It is an art. It is not a science. So if, you, if you're fine flubbing off of Google Translate, that's your choice. If you want something that's actually a little more accurate, Work with the translator and more importantly, pay them, pay them. And if they give you a number that you don't agree with, you're probably trying to undercut them. And that's not a good look for you. <laughs> well, let's shift a little bit into, uh, you know, work that you probably has your name on it. Um, just this past week, your new column for New Japan World. Um, I understand it's a limited run, but you are going to be covering the historic crossover uh Run, run to the show for the historic crossover between New Japan Pro Wrestling and Starhub. Yes, I in the last year I've done work for Post Wrestling covering Stardom and the large events. Trying again using my my skills to bring 
uh, to fill in the gaps because Stardom, as a growing promotion, is doing great. However, they have very limited information that's available in English, especially on their website. And uh, like they don't even have a, a bilingual version of their website, which is very, very frustrating when you're trying to find information to write a column. Um, but yeah, I because I know you wanted to ask how I got into this whole thing. Full disclosure, I work for Post Wrestling and I work for Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine as a contributing writer. I do not work for Stardom. I do not work for New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> how I got to this point was that I was trying to do a piece for Post because I'm, I'm planning on covering that event for Post. But I wanted some historical background on stardom and how this uh, how the IWGP came about and all of the information I wanted. None of it was available in English or Japanese on stardom's website or New Japan's website. So when I emailed asking for more information, they came back with how about we work together? Because, you know, Kevin Kelly uses your notes on the air when he's calling stardom matches. So people know who you are. And I was like and they and also it was the. New Japan is a company that has a lot of men in the conversation and they don't have any female voices doing any of the talking about stardom, uh, including Rossi Ogawa, who is the executive producer of stardom and Takaka Kidani, who is the owner of Bushi Road. So it was one of those things where they were looking for a female voice and they offered me the limited run column. And the first piece came out earlier this week. Yes. And the first piece is specifically covering uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling and Stardom's uh, previous partnerships, uh, both before Bushi Road purchased Stardom and and after. Correct. Uh, it, it was very fun piecing together that timeline. And but the hard part is that, again, this information wasn't listed on either of their sites. And there is like I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to rely off of Wikipedia or any, I mean, not that they're bad resources, but there's plenty of fan created databases with information, but I wanted to ha make something that would be a lasting contribution to the entire fandom, which is why we started out with the journey this week um, with the first part of the primer. And then it'll trans transition into information about the factions for Western fans by and large. If you, not if you know of New Japan, you've probably heard of Stardom, but you don't necessarily know about Stardom. So we're going to break up, be breaking down the, the six main factions and then the last bit, which will run right before uh, historic crossover proper will be once the final match card is released. We'll talk about the tournament results. Uh, the first match of the tournament actually happened this uh, today in England at Royal Quest 2. And then there will be a couple of matches leading up until November 20th. That's right. And this is for the brand spanking new IWGP Women's Championship title. Correct. Uh, in the previous press conferences that they've had, it was the decision between Stardom, New Japan and Bushi Road to um, create a championship that's representative of both companies for largely for international travel. So it, it, a prime example would be when Forbidden Door happened earlier this year, everyone was hoping for a starter match and hoping for a starter match because for some Western fans that aren't familiar with how Japanese wrestling histories are, <laughs> they don't understand necessarily that stardom is its own entity from New Japan and that it's not New Japan's women's division. Like they're, they're thinking in like AEW or WWE brain where it's just like, 
it's one company. They all own the same thing. So they're just going to tack them on the bottom. And that's part, part of the show. No, that's not how it works. Um, yeah. It, it kind of gets in everybody's skin a little bit. Like I, I understand why people say or refer to stardom as new Japan's sister promotion. Yes. Because they are housed under the same te- company. That is but, the nomenclature I use personally. <laughs> yeah. But there's a part of me that feels like, and I, I don't, I don't wholly think I'm right here. So I'll say that. <laughs> I don't know that there's a better term, but there's something about calling it its sister promotion that like doesn't feel correct. I, I don't really know how to explain that. And I, again, I don't have a better term, but there's something I, to me that sounds like, like they, I guess they are, it's for me, it feels more like they're coworkers than their siblings. Yeah. But maybe I'm just being too literal about it. No, you're you're not wrong. I think the way that at least my brain unpacks it all is that we talk about the parent company, Bushiroad. <laughs> so you yeah, got the parents yeah. and you got the kids. <laughs> so it's either big brother and little sister or siblings. So if you want to look at them as coworkers, you can use sibling promotions because then it's not like big brother, little sister. It's more like equal mm-hmm. and a little more gender neutral. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where, you know, when it came to, to go back to Forbidden Door, that same day, Stardom was running their biggest pay-per-view of the month at the same on the same day as Forbidden Door. So people were like, "Well, who are you pulling from the show? Who are you, like aren't are you going to cancel the show so everyone can come over to Forbidden Door?" Because because Stardom must is New Japan's whims division, and I'm like, that's not how this works. <laughs> but because of that pushback from the fans, I feel like there there was this impetus to push towards getting on the global standard, which is shows that have men and women on them. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're going to break down like stardom and New Japan as, you know, the Joshi and the Danshi. So, you know, we talk about women's wrestling in Japan as Joshi wrestling. Well, Danshi is men's wrestling. And that basically comes from what I've learned. It comes from the Olympic sports, like how we have the women's, the men's and women's divisions. But we don't usually say Danshi wrestling when we're talking about men's promotions. But that's a different story. <laughs> um, so... What I liked about the announcement of the IWGP uh, Women's Championship and the working together of the two companies to better to bring stardom to a larger international audience, starting with possibly, um, I believe, the first show that they're going to be doing will be later this month in New York. There's a pair of shows, uh, Rumble on 44th Street and the, the Night Before, which is a Halloween themed show. They haven't announced who's going to be on the show, but that's. They're advertising stardom talent for that show. So it'll be the first step to test out the waters to be able to bring stardom talent internationally. They haven't really done an international show or participated in anything since Madison Square Garden that like that weekend um, in April 2019. And then Mayu Iwatani when she was Ring of Honor Women's Champion, well, which went a little bit past that. But it's yeah. one of the it's it's. I feel like there's there's going to be a sharp learning curve, but everyone seems to be willing to work together on it to make it happen, which is kind of a great thing. I'm curious, and Harley, if if I'm just curious from your perspective, as someone who has previously watched Stardom on the regular, but wasn't a regular watcher of New Japan Pro Wrestling, if you were given a chance to go to a New Japan Pro Wrestling produced show with that you know had Stardom matches on it, would you be more tempted to go? definitely more tempted like i yeah i've never been a new japan follower for whatever reason 
So if they did a show in Toronto here in Canada that was just New Japan talent, I wouldn't even think twice about going. It'd be like going to a WWE show. I just don't watch that. If Stardom talent were on the card, mm, you know, then it becomes like the unknown indie show for me, where then it's a question of like, was it just like one match? Is it just two women? Because that's not a selling point for me. I'm not going to see that. But if we got three women's matches on the card, if I could see Tam and Momo and Starlight Kid wrestling in person, okay, how much are your tickets? You know? <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's kind of I, I actually do think that they're they're intelligent to understand that a Western market, especially, and you know any UK shows and things like that, and areas like that, they are going to be looking for more women's talent on the cards. I mean, I feel like it's even. It's been a long time coming to see more women on various Brit wrestling shows. And yet in the last you know year or so, I feel like there has been a dynamic shift that you're at least seeing one. That's not amazing by any standards, I will say. But it's a growth that wasn't there before. So there has been progress made. And if and it makes sense if you are the parent company, Bushi Road, to maximize your profits off of both companies and get as many eyes on them as possible. The real challenge that I I see with this whole process is that Stardom's calendar is very tight. They they put at least one at least one big show per month, if not two to four. And a lot of their shows run at the same time as New Japan. And the other problem that we've run with New Japan and in, in, in New Japan USA shows is that often shows are run concurrently on the same weekend. So you buy tickets well in advance, not knowing who's on the card. And then the cards are announced and you're like, there's maybe two people I want to see on the show. And it's and, and it's so it's it's that it's also trying to negotiate those. It's not just negotiating two calendars. It's possibly negotiating three between New Japan of America, New Japan in Japan and stardom and who they're willing to. And that's the thing is that are they going to send over just a couple of people for a match? Are they going to send over one person? And have them wrestle local talent. Say, for example, you have the SWA champion, and the 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 stipulation for the SWA uh, uh, undisputed women's championship. For those who don't know, it has to be fought against somebody of a different nationality. So, if you are, for example, right now the current champion is Mayu Itani, Mayu has to fight anyone who isn't Japanese. And unfortunately, since Stardom doesn't have an influx of Japanese or of international talent at the moment, <laughs> her options are Tekla, Shuri, who's half Filipina. Julia, who's half Italian, and uh, Fukigen Death, who's apparently an alien, and she's already wrestled. She's already defended against Fukigen, so it's it's <laughs> it's one of those things. Like whoever has the SWA championship, I could easily see them being someone that gets regularly sent to the international shows, just so they have an opportunity to fight other talent. In the event that you know visas are an issue, or there's like we we've had you know different promotions have this problem recently, is that they they announce talent the visa doesn't come in at the last minute or they get to the airport or they get to the country they're supposed to be landing in and there's a problem with their visa and they get sent back home. So it's one of those things where that, that and the IWGP women's championship after that champion is crowned, they're not going to defend it until wrestle kingdom on January 4th, 2023. It's one of those things like, are you going to have the, these two titles on every single, you know, new Japan show, or is it going to be like every quarter are they like the, the, there's a lot of question marks hovering around how many stardom talent will be featured on the new Japan shows. 
the, the, of course, you know, yeah. the video has like eight different people and you're like, oh my gosh, they've got, they've got Mayu and Julia and Tam and Shuri and it's like all these different people. But then it's like, are you really going to send that many people and make sure they're all these people are not missing a show that's in Japan? Because for the Western fans, we're all like, yes, finally, we get the best of both worlds. We get it all. But on the Japanese side of the fandom, there's a fair amount of pushback that it's kind of like a Venn diagram. You have your New Japan fans on one side. You've got your Stardom fans on the other side. And there is a bit of overlap in the middle. The overlap internationally is a bit wider and bigger in the, than it is in Japan. In in Japan, it, there's often two very like the, the the Stardom got the Stardom fans are in the Stardom camp. The New Japan fans are in the New Japan camp. And if they don't cross over, they don't want to cross over. There's a reason why they're solely a fan of one or the other and not both. So it's the do you also worry about upsetting the local fans who, for the for the better part of the last three years, have paid obscene amounts of money to go to multiple shows, especially during the pandemic. And then, you know, the one or two wrestlers that they're the biggest fans of are the ones that are getting shipped abroad. Do you worry about angering the, that part of your fan base? Because they're the ones who regularly will be paying the money to buy the tickets and the merch and everything else to help keep the lights on. Well, okay, so with that in mind... Karen, you're the booker. Who do you put the IWGP Women's Championship on? <sighs> See, the thing is, is that there are... <laughs> if you think about the wrestlers who have in stardom right now, there are a handful that have done more than enough that you could easily have them in the conversation. Mayu. Unfortunately... Yeah, well, Mayu literally has nothing left to do. <laughs> she, yeah. she is pretty much your Grand Slam champion. Maya would be the, the safest bet and the easiest bet just because she's done it all and she has more international performance experience because of her time with Ring of Honor. With Shuri as World of Stardom champion, that's not going to happen until she loses the belt. With Julia as uh, the five-star Grand Prix winner, she's not happening until she either wins the red belt or goes for the red belt at, at the end of the year and doesn't do it. Uh, then you basically, who have you left? You got Tam. Tam, but Tam's busy with the gods of stardom right now. Utami's got some free time, but she's already tagging with Tanahashi at Historic Crossover. Uh, Micah's tagging with Goto against Utami and Tanahashi at Historic Crossover, so those two are out. Tam, Natsupoi, Starlight Kid, and Momo, uh, Watanabe, are all in that eight-person tag with Suzuki-Goon. What about the woman who has a bye in the first round? Who, Kairi? Uh-huh. Ah. So here's the thing. For those who don't know, Kyrie is a freelancer. She is n- not contracted with Stardom. She's choosing to work exclusively with Stardom, but she kind of has that Kenta agreement where she hasn't signed a contract. So she can do where she wants. She can go international if she wants. She can do whatever she wants. Would Kyrie, Kyrie would be a solid shout. I just feel like if they're going to make this whole big deal about New Japan and Stardom, the person has to be a Stardom contract talent. At least for the first one. So then it's not alpha female yeah. either picking up the. I title. don't think so. personally. I don't think so. My my gut is telling me that it's going to be Mayu, <laughs> or I mean, if I'm thinking about who else could be, I mean, they're not going to do it. But if 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 New Japan and Stardom and Bushiro wanted to surprise me, they put Azumi in the tournament and let Azumi win it <laughs> at 19. <laughs> But that, but since they haven't let her go for the white belt or the red belt yet, I don't see that happening. 
Kimeko could be another choice to be slotted in since she's not scheduled for a historic crossover yet. And Cosmic Angels and God's Eye are are they lost the 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 lottery for part, for the four births for the stardom side of the bracket. So I'll take all of those people and just throw them to the side. Um, Kamitani could be another one that they could slot in, but Azumi got more points in the five star, and that's what they're using to determine performance in the five star Grand Prix. Will determine who gets those four slots for the for each of the four factions that are participating. Um, and then the other part is that you know Starlight Kid. I would have easily slotted her in as the for, the person for a Wado tie, but she in, already has a match for historic crossover tagging with Momo that maybe they'll put Saki Kashima in it just to play spoiler, but I don't know who they would put from a Wado tie, even though Natsuko Tora may or may not be back by then because she just came announced to the world that on yesterday that she was coming back. Oh, well, actually, Karen, you bring up an interesting point. There have been, Aside from the uh, finals of the IWGP Women's Championship Tournament, there have been three other mixed tag matches that have been announced, correct? Uh, there, yes, there is a there's two standard tags that one will have Shuri and Tom Lawler as former UFC alumni tagging together against Julia and Zack Sabre Jr., which makes a lot more sense now that Julia is the five star Grand Prix winner and Shuri is the red belt holder. Um, and then Tom Lawler and Zack Sabre Jr. started their little their little dancey dance during the G1. Uh, then there's Goto and Micah with their like samurai traditional Japanese historical piece costuming versus the the double aces of Utami and Tanahashi. And then there's the eight person with oh God, I think it's Kanemaru and Taichi ta- uh, tagging with Natsupoi and Tam Nakano against Starlight Kid. Momo Watanabe, Doki, and El Desperado. So that match is just gonna be pure chaos. But they haven't and they haven't announced other than those three mixed tags and the IWGP women's final, they haven't announced the rest of the card yet. Yeah. Because we, we imagine that on this card there will be some standalone matches as well for both New Japan and Stardom. You would think so. If they're gonna if they're gonna give a little a little bit of experience for uh, of everything. I was I was I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie I was a little sad that um that Desperado and Starlight Kid are in that eight person tag because when they were originally announced as potentially being a tag pair the best foil for those two would have been basically doing the Super Junior equivalent of Stardom and uh, New Japan which would be putting Azumi the 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 bomb daughter with the ticking time bomb Hiromu Takahashi in a tag. Yeah, I would have paid yeah. so much money to see the four of them just tear it up. But I think they may have other plans for other people. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe a historic crossover, too. Yes, it, it, it seems like this won't be the one. It, it's unlike WWE Evolution. This seems to be the start of something, not a one and done sort of thing. Yeah, I feel like just based on the on the fact that they are continuing stories within just the, I mean, just the three matches that have been announced, there, there are stories setting from, based from things like the G1 and the five star Grand Prix, et cetera. Like it, it does feel like this isn't, I don't know, like a one-off or a standalone or just a special event. It feels like it is the start of a new tradition. 
And I, I, I'm getting, I'm kind of giving, getting the feeling that it's, it's like the anniversary show that they have, or that they, both companies do, like around in like April or not April, March. Like it, it's that su- special super card that could become a tradition. And if it does, I think it would be a great thing that you know. Granted, every, I hope that they'll change who's in the mixed tags from time to time, but it all depends. Of, of course, is you know who's healthy, who's available, who's. Who's champion, who's not champion, and all that other good stuff. So you have how many more columns for your limited run leading up to the actual event? The plan is there will be four more pieces spaced out every other week. So I'm working on the next one that I believe I could be right or could be wrong, should go live next week. But I gotta gotta finish it before I go on vacation so I can get it get it over to the office so they can review it. Um, but the, yeah, the next three pieces will be in different breakdowns of different factions. Well, and Karen, how can people find your columns? And also, most importantly, how can they find you online? Uh, if you would like to follow my stardom and Joshi learning excursion, you can go over to postwrestling.com and type in Karen Peterson. Uh, or search up Dream Slam Weekly, which is my weekly column that covers as much as I can about the entire Japanese women's scene from results to translations, uh, upcoming events, tournaments, uh, Japanese wrestlers who are coming abroad to participate in uh, different promotions here in the States and other countries. Um, I do do a ma- match of the week selection if you want if you want to watch some something that's fun, free and on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, if you would like to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, YouTube or Twitch, just go to Hey Karen Sensei and uh, come along for the ride. Uh, lately, I've been doing a lot of playing a lot of Animal Crossing and talking about uh, Chinese and Korean dramas as well. So if that's your vibe, I do I do talk about things other than wrestling. <laughs> Be sure to follow Karen on Twitter, on Instagram. Check out her uh her limited run column leading up to the historic crossover event in November. It can be found on Japan's website, njpw1972.com. Karen, thank you so much. This is such an exciting event, and we're so glad that you are covering it. And, uh, yeah, giving us all the insights. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. As always... You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Grit Glitter Pod. Maybe if you have to choose between the two, maybe go with the Twitter, the Instagram. We don't update the Instagram that much. I'm not great at Instagram um, and uh, never have been, never really will be. But you can follow us there, but definitely follow us on Twitter. And most importantly, if you like us and you like what we do and you want more from us, you can always support us on Patreon.com. It's October now. And we decided to actually kind of overhaul the Patreon. We've had it for two years, I think. And for the first time, we decided to make significant, substantial changes. We got rid of a whole tier. And not the cheap tier, the expensive tier. Because we are a podcast for the people. For Joe Lunchbox. That's our target demographic. That's right. If you are holding off thinking like, well, I don't know if I want to subscribe to the $5 level and I can't afford the $10 level. Well, now you get all the perks of the $10 level because it doesn't exist anymore. So subscribe $5 gets you everything. $5 a month. The price of a cup of coffee. Less than a cup of coffee, depending on where you live and what kind of coffee you drink. So I'm just saying. Plus, remember, when you subscribe to our Patreon, you're not just getting 
the weekly newsletter and the bonus pods and archived episodes of our podcast. No, you're also helping Brit and Glitter support the pro wrestling that you enjoy from the independent promotions and the wrestlers that you want to see thrive. So be the wrestling you want to see in the world by giving us your money so we can give it to them and keep that wrestling good vibes going. Yes, we will be sponsoring the upcoming crossover show between Alley Cat's Hot Girl Shit and Effie's Big Gate Brunch, presented by Bussy Road. We are proud sponsors of this event. Yes, it is. Um, I think the working title is Hot Brunch Shit. Yes, <laughs> something like that. Uh, and other promotions, like Enjoy Wrestling, like Wrestlers Lab, like CFU. We take your money, we give it to them, they create quality shows, and then we talk about those shows on the podcast. It's a big circle of life, really. It's the circle of life. My kid loves that song, so I have to sing it constantly. And 